Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today with me, we have a special guest, and I'm going to say his name without butchering it, Milad Dehan, coming to us live from the Netherlands. How are you doing, Milad? I'm doing good. Thank you for like uh, doing it perfect, actually. Uh, so much better than Dutch people. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Milad is Iranian, actually living in the Netherlands. We are quite the multinational podcast, like as I like to say. And also, before I forget, I would like to uh, say welcome to our studio audience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's always good to have a studio audience. They add so much to the podcast. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So today we are here to talk about creating a view component library without losing your mind, which is something I often have a problem with losing my mind. That is not creating a library. But before we get started, let's, Milad, can you introduce yourself and just tell us who you are, your development history, why you're famous, etc. Okay, I'm Milad. I did uh, some rock music. No, uh, uh, I'm Milad <laughs> and uh, I'm a front-end developer and I've been front-end developer actually my whole career, kind of. And I was uh, working in Iran and I started working in the Netherlands for the past year and I'm current, currently working in the Trango, which is a customer support software. It's not like the thing that people use, but I think the businesses know it a lot, even the US and the whole Europe. So yeah. So Tringo, how do you, we'll put the link in the show notes, but uh, yeah, I haven't heard of that before. So yeah, it's, uh, I put the link to uh, send the link to you, but okay. uh, yeah. T-R-E-N-G-O.com. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put that link in the show notes. So, uh, okay, great. So how long have you been working with Vue? Actually, uh, my uh, relationship with Vue Come back to the version one. Uh, wow. I was working in a company that was using Vue.js version one, and they were on the migrating uh, to Vue.js two. And Vue.js one and two were like completely different. For example, now Vue.js two and three they're, they're kind of backward compatible, but Vue.js one and two they were not backward compatible. It was a different breed. Uh, yeah. So we tried to migrate it to Vue two. We did it, but uh, it was a hassle. <laughs> And then it was, I think, 2017 or 2016, which I started to using Vue. And uh, yeah, I'm using it till now. Actually, I don't know why, but in any company that gives me like offers and stuff uh, is using Vue. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the thing. Awesome. So Vue 1, you are the first person I have ever talked to 
whether here on the podcast or just in my own contacts that actually worked with view one. Most people have come in with view two. In terms of being very different, some people would say that's true for view two to view three, although view three does handle backward compatibility a little better than that. You can use view two syntax, although it's not recommended despite having you. (laughs) So great. So our purpose here today or our topic today, like I said, is creating a view component library without losing your mind. So I guess, first of all, Milad, let's talk about what a component library is and then how to create one. A component library or a design system, for example, you're in a company or you have an application. So your application has some design language. So you need some models, you need some uh, inputs, some buttons, a lot of uh, components that is basically all are designed by your designers. So you cannot use, for example, Bootstrap or anything like that because you have a different design, you have a different functionality, different animations, different everything. So in that case, you decide to have a component library. So then, then the thing starts how you can do it. Because for example, you have, uh, you need, uh, 100 components, how you can manage it, how you can make it reusable through all of the application, through all of the use cases through all of the developers you have in the company, or even uh, if you want to publish it uh, open source or anything like that. So that's when uh, the struggle starts, because making a reusable component, which which you can use in a, like a, lot, of, uh, in a lot of situations, is not an easy task. I don't know if you had uh, experience with that. Uh, for example, even if you were making a simple button, and it seems uh, really simple, but... When you make it, you you think, oh my God, I need a smaller one here. I need a bigger one there. I need a full width button. I need a button that is like a little different here or these kind of things. Uh, So that's when the struggle starts and people will uh, have really bad uh, components and they will start losing their minds, kind (laughs) of. Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the rub with anything that's, that's, you're using that's off the shelf. You know, there's your classic, you know, Bootstrap, I think it's probably the more better ones. There's Bulma and any number of component libraries. And, you know, it's safe to say that their usability is going to be better when it's more flexible, you know, when you can pass in different options and things like that. You know, in my day to day, we use Bootstrap View, which I'm sure many people will pan. It is, you know, the decision was made long ago. But the nice thing about a lot of those things is they do have a, a, a decent amount of flexibility in terms of props that you can pass in. But as with any off-the-shelf system, like you said, at some point you may your needs may be much greater than the flexibility that those provide. So you basically end up creating your own design system for sure. I know one of the way we've handled that is, you know, we're we're working on some on GovTribe, we're working on some UI redesign to make things look like a designer actually did it, not code people that try to do design. <laughs> and we've sort of created our own design systems by enhancing sort of wrapping around some of the built-in bootstrap components right so here's this and then we'll create our components that have some more some company specific designs already implemented and then props and so on so anyway that was my rant so that's what a design system is right so you want to talk about doing one in view so how did so i guess was that your reason for doing it creating your own new one is just that there was nothing off the shelf that really designed did what you needed for your particular application and so you figured you'd create your own the thing is uh, when you have a like when you have an application that has a design language and everything is 
everything is uh, designed by your designers, you can use off-the-shelf component libraries. And like, uh, but the thing is, you can wrap them up. But the problem is, uh, you should uh, fight with their styles. You should fight with their uh, style they already have mm-hmm. to make it look like the thing you have. So, and also, you you have the problem of the versioning. If they update, you should update too. And uh, if they are deprecated, you should always do be careful. If you wanna uh, migrate to Vue three and they don't have a Vue three option, then you're like have problem a little bit. So, in that case, if you're a big company or if you have the people to make your make the components for you, I will uh, hugely recommend the. Uh, making uh, your new component library because uh, it's better not to be dependable on the other people's code if you're uh, if you have your own design so it doesn't make that much sense to for example uh, the model that bootstrap or beautify have it's so hard to make it like the model that we had for example in the triangle mm-hmm. so we had like a different kind of footer we had like different kind of scrolling we had uh, like different kind of header and stuff like that so we could use those models but it wouldn't be even more work to make it look like the thing that we wanted. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that about being uh, tied to the underlying library's versioning. We uh, we use Bootstrap View, and we want, we're want we still in View 2, which there's many View sites out there in View 2. But part of the reason we have been tied or restricted from going to View 3 is that Bootstrap View does not have a View 3 version yet. Same with Viewtify. I know they're working on that too. And Bootstrap View has an interesting re- problem in that the developer is in Ukraine and he sort of had some other issues maybe <laughs> going on there that would keep him from being able to do what he needs to do. So, but just in, that uh, illustrates perfectly your point about being tied to somebody else's versioning and, and losing that flexibility when you need to upgrade. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, uh, you, uh, your developers need to learn uh, two, uh, two, like two APIs, your own wrapped API. And also the API of the bootstrap view or uh, beautify or anything like that. So if there is a problem, they should go and read all of the documentations of the beautify. But the problem may be in the wrapper. So first they should debug the wrapper. And then if the problem is not there, they should go and debug the beautify thing. Like if you have a design and you have people, enough people to do it, I highly recommend uh, making it from scratch. It's so much easier. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to depend on your available resources. If you're a one or two yeah. person shop, probably not going to happen. But if you yeah. <laughs> have somebody that is able to just focus on the design system itself, then sure, it's a great amount of flexibility for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. So, all right. So now that we know what and the why, let's talk about the how. So, right. So we want to build, as you say, an extensive, reusable and cohesive component library. So you're going to follow the atomic design principles. So why don't you talk about those and how those work and then how those play into creating your view component library. Okay. There are like different kind of like uh, structuring component libraries or like UI in general. Actually, atomic design principle is not for component library. Uh, It's like in the making UI in general, like it's not even uh, connected to the front end, I think. It's like in general kind of structuring your application UI. So the thing is, I made, I found it really useful because then you can really differentiate the responsibility of the components. For example, if you have a input and then you have an input with the icon, you don't need to make a two separate components with uh, really duplicated code and stuff like that. You can make an atomic component and make an atomic icon 
and then make a molecule out of those two, which is like a input, for example, with uh, some other features, icons or like other features too. So in that case, atomic design principle, I found it really, really, really good uh, for uh, component libraries, especially if you want to follow principles of the solid, not full solid, uh, even just like a single responsibility and open clause principle. So in that case, it will uh, help you differentiate responsibilities. Uh, it's so easier to do that with atomic design principle. There are other parts, other kinds of structuring too. For example, people uh, do it for like, for example, these are forms, form components. These are like, I don't know, these are uh, components based on the, their, what they do and stuff like that. But I found it really hard to do it like that. Like these are form components. These are like um, design components. These are like typography or this kind of thing. But yeah, I found it really not good. <laughs> yeah. So you find it difficult. So in other words, it's better to group it by functionality, I guess, by here. This is something that I can drop in that has everything I need, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially when you kind of want to start, you can just have three folder, like uh, atoms, molecules, and uh, organism. Mm-hmm. And then you're set. You just uh, can put your uh, components inside them and use it as you want. The molecules will contain atoms and the organism will contains uh, molecules and just that. So, yeah. Okay. So for the non-scientific among us who maybe haven't studied <laughs> molecules and atoms and design, it's, sort of, it's a it's a size hierarchy, right? So your atoms are your smallest. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The yeah. tiniest thing, the things that in science we can't see, right? And then you use atoms to make up molecules. Molecules contain multiple atoms. And then you can use organisms to say, okay, here's my multiple molecules. And so the the atoms within the organism are pretty transparent because all the organism cares about is the molecules, right? In, in terms of uh, yeah, 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 exactly. For example, the Brad Frost, which is like the creator of the atomic design principle, which has a book too, I think, about that. It uh, shows a, uh, there's a picture that he shows what they mean exactly with the Instagram example. Right. Uh, if you've seen it, that's quite really, if you see that picture, you will already know like what, uh, what this is about uh, in UI design. Right, yeah, the book's like, Atomic Atomic Design by Brad Frost. Yeah. Actually, I didn't read the book, <laughs> to be honest, but uh-huh. uh, I use Atomic Design Principle a lot in the, in my books because I I, uh, I researched it online, but I didn't read the book fully, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. yeah. He's got some quite detailed things about how atoms and molecules fit together from a scientific perspective. Heck, he's even got the periodic table of the elements in there how it all fits into design systems and templates and pages and stuff so cool okay that's it so you've got that methodology right molecules organisms okay so let's uh okay so your post is basically just talking about high level stuff right with some examples so can you give us some real life examples of how you've used this in tringo or where else you've used a, a custom library Oh, yeah. For example, uh, the problem we had in Trango was like uh, we had components that were doing multiple stuff. So we, have, we had the input components, for example, that was doing like everything. Input with icon, input with like, and the component got huge. You may, uh, you may uh, imagine, uh, for example, an input component in Vue.js is just, yeah, it's just input with maybe some props and that's it. But after, after a while, for example, uh, you need a new future, feature, which uh, the input has, for example, a label and, or it has an icon or it has something. Every one of these kind of things, every kind uh, will add to that component. And after a year or two, you will have a, 
huge component that nobody wanna look at it. Like uh, it's, you know, nobody can edit, nobody can do it anything just, with it. It just scares you looking at it because of the amount of code that's in there, right? Exactly, exactly. So I was looking for a solution. I was looking for how we can uh, make it not look like that. Uh, how we can do a component library that we can add anything we want in the in mean in the meantime that will not clutter our code. So a, a nice example will be. In Vue.js, we have props, and when we, we we have a component, we and we need a new feature in that component, we will just add props. But I don't think that's a nice idea. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. The better idea is like uh, having maybe another component that wraps that component, or maybe another atom, make another atom and uh, combine it in a molecule with the thing that you already have. And that is open close principle, and it has. The thing should be should you should not always edit the things. So that, that's the thing. You should, the things should be open to be edited from parents. You sh- they should have all the feature from the startup, but they should be close to getting edited by times. In the simpler word, the, you should not have to edit a component every day. That's right. So the idea is that when I'm going to implement a particular input, let's say, you know, to use the that example, I don't want it if I have, I just want to be use that top level organism, right? And be able to configure everything from there, I shouldn't need to go down and add the molecule, or the atom, right? At least in theory, everything you're going to need. Now you might want to add something later, like uh, add a different color option, say you've changed your design, and you need to add more color, then yeah, you can do that. But that should be rare, and and not very often, right? Exactly, that should be rare. And if you made your uh, component small enough, uh, it will be more rare and uh, rare. But mostly you will uh, edit the bigger options. Like you mostly will edit molecules or organisms and not atoms. So that's the thing. And if you're changing atoms, that's the thing that you should talk with your team, like uh, the design team changing something, the inputs and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Okay, so let's play devil's advocate for a minute. One of the things you're going to run into, I would I would anticipate running into, especially as a site scales up, is complexity and trying to track things down. I've run into this before where you're implementing something in PHP, for instance, using op, you know OOP principles, where you try to extract everything. And pretty soon you've got something that's down, you know, five or six layers of classes and inheritances and stuff. And it sounds like you could run into something similar too, where you've got things so broken out and so isolated that you run into a bug or something that's not working right. And so pretty soon you've got 20 files open in your, your editor because you're trying to figure out where the problem is, right? So yeah, exactly. is there, is there 
I know, for instance, if you think from an organizational structure in terms of managers and and employees and subordinates, there's a term, at least we use in the fire service, and I've heard it used other places here called span of control, where you only want one manager to manage more, no more than five employees because it gets too messy. All that to say, is there some sort of guideline, whether it's general or specific, on how many smaller pieces an organism can have? For instance, as an organism, would I only want to have no more than five or 10 molecules in under that part of one organism? And then under the molecules, only, you know, five to 10 different atoms that make up a given molecule. Have you run into any restrictions or set any guidelines on numbers like that? To, to be more specific, you rarely even need organisms because the organisms, for example, are a set of molecules. For example, if you have a lagging, uh, lagging form, that will be organism, but you don't have that much of an organism in your, uh, in your application. You, mo- you are mostly will be using molecules uh, in your pages, just that, like, yeah, I never been uh, in a company or been in a, I never made a component library that used a lot of organisms. The need for the organisms are so rare comparing to molecules and atoms. You have a lot of atoms, you have uh, smaller molecules and you have a smallest organism and you have even the smaller uh, templates. So uh, because of that, I don't even uh, consider templates as a component library. So because they are so rare, they should be in their uh, respective folders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, so then to follow this, it's it's almost as if, I'm trying to think how to put this, your organisms are almost the pages as compared to the components themselves. I mean, to be honest, you could almost, you could use this uh, this paradigm, for lack of a better word, for your site as a whole, right? So, you know, say you have a page as an organism that's made up of different molecules, if you want to think about it that way, different sections on your page, your sidebar, different areas within your main content, your nav is a, you think of as a molecule, and then your nav can be broken down underneath that. Is that, do you think about that in the design system well, or are you strictly thinking of it in terms of the components, the individual components that you use throughout the the application? If you want to make an organism, it should be accessible with the props and events. So if you have a full page as an organism, it's super hard to make it uh, controllable with props and uh, events because it's, it has a lot of elements. So because of that, as you can, as you said, it should be a limit to the components that you have in organism. So for mm-hmm. example, uh, the f- number five you said was like good or even less, uh, but it depends. It depends on the things. It shouldn't be so hard to make it reusable with the props and events because props and events are the things that we have in Vue.js. We have uh, props that go down and events that go up and we don't have anything else. So mm-hmm. if you can make it manageable with props and events, then mm-hmm. you can make it a component, make it the organism or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had mentioned when we were talking earlier about how generally you're going to get atoms and molecules, but pretty rare that you'll have an organism in terms of the design system and the things that you're creating. Can you give me an example of where you have seen or where you have used an organism going using that third level? Mostly in the forms, the forms that are so repeated in the application, like login form, like, for example, the forms that are repeated in the, in the application, like confirm models or these kind of things that are so repeated in the application and you want to reuse them a lot. Mm-hmm. But for example, if there's a page that is different from other pages, it shouldn't be in a 
the component library at all because it's just one-time thing or two-time right. thing. So no need to even hassle to go through all of those uh, problems to make it reusable and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. If it's a one-off, there's no need for creating it. Yeah. You know, it's like content management systems. There's one that I've used called Prismic, where you can define by your content types, you can define it either as this is just a one time or this is a repeatable thing. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I know, you know, speaking from my day to day experience, modals and forms, that's the stuff that you're going to use all over the place, right? A modal in particular, because your modal can have, yeah, I guess I could see it where your modal is your organism, right? And then maybe the, the form components are your molecules and then as you said, the different parts of the inputs could be uh, would be the uh, the atoms. Yeah, even some of the atoms you have don't have any design. The thing that, for example, the model should uh, appear on the top of the everything. So that functionality that something appear on top of other things uh, by a state or something like that, mm-hmm. it can be an atom by itself, and you can name it dialog. You can name it like overlay or something like that, mm-hmm. and then. You should uh, have a card of the model, which is another atom. And then you have like uh, the header of the model. You have like even like a close icon, even like uh, the footer of the model. Mm-hmm. And then you will combine all of them in a, you should, you can design, decide if there's a lot of options. It should be organism. If there are like a limited ones, it's a simple model. You can put it in molecules. So mm-hmm. that's the thing. So how you define them is going to be based on the needs of your particular application, right? Yeah, especially like, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Exactly. Every application is different. Uh, some application has really extensive models, for example. Some of, uh, some has like really simple models, simple stuff. So you don't need to really over-engineer and do, do a lot of things that you may not need in the future. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, so we've talked about a design system within a given application. I'm assuming that an organization like yours is, has multiple applications. So is it safe to assume that you're, you have one design system internally that can be used across your multiple applications? That would seem to be the reason for doing one in the first place, I assume, correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Actually, uh, we even think of uh, ma- making the component library as an NPM package for like private NPM package that we can use uh, in multiple places. Mm-hmm. So this is where uh, it's uh, financially uh, makes sense that to make really extensive big uh, component library. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have a uh, multiple application that has same design, or you have a big application that has the same design, and the design is really done by your designers, and uh, you don't want to mess up with your designers because they will uh, <laughs> get angry if you <laughs> just use beautify and just change the colors and say, hey, yeah, this is uh, just kind of look like it's what something you did uh, but no <laughs> they want it to be like exactly like they what they did pixel perfect otherwise they and i get them because they they researching they are going through all of the best practices and they make some designs and then one developer uh just uh, wrap it beautify and say yeah this is the button you made kind of <laughs> look like it <laughs> yeah yeah you don't want to anger your designers because then things won't look good if they get mad right? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so so at Trango, do you have how many any ideas of how many applications i'm assuming you have some sort of design system in place right or that's where this this all came from uh, so how many applications okay. would you say you use your design system across Trango uh, actually is just one application but we have like sim- different 
if we are in different devices, like in we are on mobile and uh, we are on desktop and we are have a web application too. Mm-hmm. So this design system is uh, use, getting used across all of those three. So mm-hmm. it's the same application, but in different devices because it's just uh, one application just called Triangle. Okay, so I'm assuming that your CSS has all reactivity built into it, right? You know, how it adjusts for mobile versus tablet versus desktop types of yeah, exactly. things. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's just one application. It's just one web application that is uh, getting used in all of our the devices. Mm. So how, just out of curiosity, how is that built? Are you using something like Electron or Ionic or for your apps, or is it just basically uh, web apps? Or? Yeah, as you can maybe uh, know, it's uh, Electron in the desktop. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I can tell it here. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I don't want to get you in trouble. I was just always, I'm just always curious to see what yeah. tools people use for building their different applications for sure. But I can tell that is the desktop is Electron because it's quite obvious. <laughs> is it? <laughs> Using a lot of memory? Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. So within, so when it comes to you know, obviously you're going to use CSS inside of it. I don't know if you can tell me this, use something like uh, an atomic library, so like a tailwind or something, or is it just hand-built CSS, you know, where you sign your classes and all that kind of stuff? Or how do you incorporate that into your design system? We are using tailwind, but right. as you may already know or not know, I don't like tailwind. Oh, okay. I think for for the big applications that you have a like a really extensive design, I think uh, Tailwind is just uh, reimagining CSS because mm-hmm. it's just all of the CSS features, mm-hmm. but with different names. With the atomic uh, classes, right. Yeah, and the I get uh, why people use Tailwind mm-hmm. because it's easier just speeding thing up, like put everything in the class. Mm-hmm. But when you have a big application and everything doesn't have any name on the HTML tags, that's going to be a chaos. Like, But we are using Tailwind now, uh, but I'm not the person to decide. <laughs> but <laughs> if I was the person to decide, uh, I would That was my next question. Yes. Yeah. You would use I what? Wouldn't use, I use just CSS. Just straight CSS? Or SCSS. SAS or something, something like that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But just, so you like to use close to the metal, just use the basic stuff and... Because I'm, exactly. I'm a, yeah, that's going to give you more control, you know, I'm sure of how you name things and, and where you put things and, and stuff. Yeah, that's another thing. If your uh, component library doesn't have name in the classes, you cannot, uh, for example, the thing is in the Vue.js. If you don't make your uh, style scoped, you can even uh, edit the child's CSS. Like uh, you have a children, component children. That mm-hmm. you can edit the thing, but if you don't have any uh, named class, you cannot edit that children. And another thing is, when you're using Tailwind, you need to do like post CSS and go through all of those versioning of post CSS. Something's deprecated, and all of those hassles for just ease of not having a separate CSS file. Right. Well, that would make I sense. Don't... I mean, you're creating your own custom component library in the first place, so you want to have as much control over what goes into your custom component library, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, every tool, there's no one tool that's going to fit all use cases, obviously. And, and exactly. Uh, Tailwind's very really popular, but there's some places where it just doesn't work, and that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tailwind is so fine. Tailwind is nice. It has a lot of use cases, especially for the landing pages and the thing that you want to just uh, go fast with it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's really good for the thing that you, you want to age. You want to go back and edit later. Because if you want to go back and edit the template that is using Tailwind, I don't know if you had uh, experience with that. 
the template looks awful. Like it's big and not really good. <laughs> sure, sure. Awesome. All right. So I think we've covered everything in your post in general. Anything else in particular regarding uh, design systems in view and, and how they work that you wanted to cover? Yeah, the design system, I think, if you have a company that have a design system or even have an application that has a design system, it's nice that uh, you have like alignment with your designers too. Because if you have a designer or you you are a designer, it's better to make those components in Figma too. So it's all the same. So you have an atom in the code. So it's better to have that atom in the Figma or in the sketch or any tool that you like. They all have component thingy, what they call it component feature <laughs> so yeah <laughs> i like thingies <laughs> yeah so that's the thing sorry because uh, my english is not that good so i use thingy all the time it works great <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can use it for everything like thingy can be ujs can be javascript yeah that thingy oh yeah i know what thingy you're talking about sure that's great yeah, that green thingy <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for that. That's a good discussion on high level and low level stuff with component libraries. And we'll leave the implementations up to the listeners because <laughs> that can get <laughs> very complex. Yeah, it's a little bit sure. boring. It's a little bit boring the conversation. Uh, there is uh, not a lot of, actually, there's not a lot of things around this because not everyone uh, needed these kind of things. Most people just will go and use Beautify or use uh, uh, a lot of... Bootstrap uh, View, yes. Or... Yeah, pre-made uh, component libraries. But I think it's really, really, really valuable for the people that have big application or have a design system. And when you want to do that and you search in the internet, there is no, not enough articles. There is not enough uh, things that how you should do it. For example, even the atomic design principle, I was searching the internet to know how should I use it? Like, uh, what's the thing? How I know what it is. Uh, I I read the like uh, first sections of the book, and I know, yeah, I know what is it. But how can I do it in Vue.js? How can I do it in the React.js? Or how should I do it? Or uh, the solid? Uh, yeah, it's open close principle. But how can I do it in JavaScript? How can I do it uh, in Vue.js? So that's the thing uh, I really like to really emphasize of how you should actually do something. Yeah, you've got the blog post has a number of code samples in there putting something together. So that's a little easier to read and play with than it is to talk about <laughs> yeah. the code samples. But anyway, great. You know, and I, I think one final point I'll make is that if you think about it, anytime you're putting together some sort of web application, whether it's a static site, whether it's the dynamic site, whatever, you're basically using those principles anyway in terms of how you lay out your components, right? So... For instance, as a little side project, I'm building a, a static site for a business for a friend of mine using Astro and using the same thing in there. You know, I've got, uh, here's my page. Okay. Here's my nav bar and here's my footer and here's my header and within the nav bar and you, you know, the different items. So you're using the same hierarchical, uh, structure in most any app, unless you have something that's so small, you just dump it all in one file, which is always a possibility. But you know, these, uh, paradigm is certainly bigger than just design systems for large companies. How is Astro? Do you recommend it? I never used it, uh, but I looked into it. I was not sure to use it or not. Yeah, it's it? it's neat. It's The idea behind Astro is that you use as little JavaScript as possible, but you have the flexibility to use it as you need it with whatever framework you need to use it with. So the idea is that obviously, you know, you know, when SPAs first became the rage with Angular and then, you know, Vue and React, and that was a way to do it. Well, then, you know, you've obviously got your problems with 
the more JavaScript you have, the more that it needs to download into your browser, which has performance issues. And so now you see the pendulum swing back to as using as little JavaScript as possible. And, you know, that's where you run into static sites and, you know, Next and, and Nuxt and, you know, Jekyll going back to, you know, some of the original <laughs> tools. So the idea with Astro is that you create static pages, you use what are called .astro components, which has all your HTML and all that stuff in it, right? And you can use, you plug in, I'm using Prismic as a backend for an example. And then at build time, you generate your static site. But within your Astro components, you can throw in a React component, you can throw in a view component, you can throw in an Angular component that gives you maybe some dynamic showing a graph or something or some sort of click and, and it happens right away. And it's, it's, it's the islands architecture is the way it, it, it functions is that here's your ocean of your whole page. And now I've got little islands of little JavaScript interactivity within, within there. So it gives you the islands architecture, but it gives you the flexibility to use the framework or tool that you're most familiar with. So it gives you great flexibility. And then you generate a static site, you know, upload it and you've got great SEO because of your static component along with your interactivity. So that's the gist of it. And yeah, I really like it. This is, I've heard about it a lot and this is the first time I really tried to use it. But yeah, it's, it, it seems like a really neat tool with, with some good flexibility. So. And I like their websites. Uh, I'm seeing the websites they have. It's so neat. <laughs> oh, some of the demo, yeah, the Astro. Yeah, I've seen some really neat stuff on there. So yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Really cool. Yeah. So anyway. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. All righty. So with that, we will move on to picks. Uh, picks are things where we get to talk about other things. Or we can talk about view, your technical stuff. Uh, you know, it all just depends on what you want to talk about. And I know we talked, sort of sprung this on you before we started. Did you come up with any uh, any picks? Uh, any picks? Like a book, a movie, oh. uh, food, oh, okay. uh, you know, some, a TV oh, yeah, show you've been food. watching. <laughs> Yeah, if the people that come out and uh, want to try Dutch foods and uh, they re- realize that there is uh, not a lot of like Dutch foods that you may like, <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> they mostly are like uh, without uh, any taste, uh, especially for Americans. <laughs> so <laughs> they always are like complaining like, oh, Dutch food, I don't like it and stuff like that. So if you're going to Netherlands, you can try Dutch foods, but don't expect uh, a lot. <laughs> just not why just because it's it's bland or something maybe it's compared to persian food or what uh yeah like it's just like for example cheese and uh, meat without any uh, without any flavor or stuff like that <laughs> ah so it's pretty bland huh okay so what's yeah. uh since you're from iran what's what's your do you have like a favorite food from iran that that you still like to try to eat there in the netherlands uh, yeah the thing that i really like to eat here is uh called festenjan which is so hard to make. Otherwise, I would make it myself, but it's so hard to make yourself. So that's the thing I really want to uh, try when I come back to Iran, I think. <laughs> oh, you're not. Oh, so you don't get it there in the Netherlands, huh? Yeah, you can uh, make it in the Netherlands, but it it takes like two hours, three hours just to make it. So uh, what's in yeah, it? I don't have it. There is like a lot of things. Actually, I don't know how to make it too. Like my mom mostly. <laughs> but oh, it has okay. chicken, uh, pro micro gamut, something like that, and butter, olive oil, like onions, walnuts, and these kind of things. Mm. 
Sounds good. Sounds yeah. nutritional for sure. Yeah, cinnamon. Some some people put cinnamon too. So yeah. all right, like pepper. There you go. Yeah, if it's too hot, I can't eat it. I'll tell you that much right now. For my brother was blessed with the kind of mouth where he can eat super super hot peppers and like, yeah, that's really good. I'm like smoke's pouring out of my mouth and I'm sweating <laughs> just because. I like to tell the story when I back in college, I lived in Mexico for a while and and the family I was living with had a party one night. It was a birthday party for the lady of the house. And real Mexican food and American Mexican food are totally different things, as I discovered. But they had these six <laughs> different types of like taco mixes, you know, you put together with fresh made corn tortillas, which are oh so good. And out of the six of them, I could eat one because the rest were just way too smoke and hot for me. And I didn't have enough water to put out the fire, you know, all the time. So that's me and my wimpy mouth. So if it's too hot and spicy, uh, yeah. I, I yeah, but uh, I, I have another problem because uh, my mouth is like, uh, we can, I can handle the spicy stuff really well and I like them, but you will have a problem later on. So. <laughs> With your stomach, right. <laughs> yeah, yep, I get that. Me. <laughs> uh, darn it, it tastes so good, but I... Can't eat it because problems later. Uh, I will eat it. I will eat it by the way, but I think my stomach and my uh, lower half of the body will not like that. <laughs> I guess. I guess each time you have to evaluate to determine if it's worth the price, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. All right, so I will uh, jump in here with the dad jokes of the week. I uh, gave uh, Milad warning about that, so you can laugh okay. or groan as you wish. So. You know, around here in the States, uh, you know, it's summertime and the better weather. So you get a lot of people having barbecues, having friends over and, you know, cooking some food on the barbecue grill. I like to say that nobody throws a barbecue like me. My record is 28 feet. Wow. Nice. That's the joke. Throw a barbecue, throw a barbecue. You know. Anyway, sorry. I always, the joke okay. always loses it when you have to explain it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, when you explain it, it. I really like bad jokes, especially terrible jokes that are nobody uh, laughs and everybody looks a bit awkward. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> I really like those jokes, actually. <laughs> so are you saying mine are bad and terrible? Is that is that what I'm getting? It's terrible, but in a nice way. Terrible in a nice way. That's a good way to get around that. I like that. Classy. <laughs> All right. So now if I had a dollar for every time I didn't know what was going on, I'd be like, why am I getting all this free money? You know, because I don't know what's going on, why I'm getting this money. Anyway, sorry. That one was pretty bad, I guess. <laughs> I love them, to be honest. Actually, it's like a, it's like a mind game. You, sh- you should, you, you will go and like uh, try to find the funny fun in, in it. And- right. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, the other day, uh, I was talking to my, my wife and I said, and I'd been outside. And I said, honey, I just saw a wolf. And she said, where? And I said, no, the regular kind. <laughs> that was funny. You know, like werewolf. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I put that in the uh, in uh, my company chat this morning like I do every day. And, and a guy came back with a great clip from a movie called Young Frankenstein where they play off of that whole pun, too. I'll put a link in there. It was really great. So, yeah. Nice idea. So, I should do uh, something like that, too, with uh, terrible jokes. <laughs> right. I, I think of I like to think that the ones I tell are the best of the worst, you know, so there there are lots of other ones that I won't tell because they're so bad. Even I won't tell them. I like to say I have some uh, pride, for lack of a better term, in my jokes, but uh, people appreciate them. So. All righty. So 
before we sign off, Milad, if people want to talk to you or get in touch with you and hear some more pearls of wisdom, where uh, where can they do that? They can uh, go to my uh, website, which is connected to my uh, GitHub, but uh, all of my contacts are there. Or they can uh, give me an email with my email, which is milad.d3 uh, at San Gmail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can uh, use all of those uh, things. Or they can uh, connect me in the LinkedIn, just search my name, and my face will show up. So what's your username uh, on GitHub? We'll put the links in the show notes. But... Uh, yeah, I sent through the link in the chat. Uh, oh, okay. So, oh, yeah. yeah, got him here. Right, so we will put all that in the show notes. Do you use Twitter at all by chance? Or, uh... I use Twitter, but I just tweet in Persian. If you oh. translate well, I, <laughs> Right, I suppose you can use Google Translate, right? <laughs> but don't use it because it's mostly terrible, terrible stuff, like jokes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's the kind of, of profile I like to follow, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's not technical at all. <laughs> right. And yeah, and so for those of you that liked my jokes, uh, if you go to my Twitter, which is Wonder95, most days, five days a week, I'm usually putting a joke out there. I'll leave it to you to judge whether it's good or not. Uh, and I'm Wonder95 on GitHub there. So, all righty. Well, thank you for coming on a lot. This has been really great. Appreciate you coming on to talk about design systems. And for everybody else, oh, before I forget, I'm sorry. I'd like to thank the studio audience as well. Thank you. And you can't see it here, but Malad is waving to the studio audience. His appreciation. And that will wrap up this episode of Views on View. I'll talk at you next time. Thank you for uh, having me. And it was a really nice talk. I read your jokes for really daddy and it was nice. So, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. All right. Adios. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.